This is the Startup Pregnant Podcast, episode number eight. Today, I get to interview somebody I have long been a fan of and who I met a number of years ago, Kate Northrup. Her tirelessness in building projects bigger than her and doing it from a place of core power and central energy is something I always feel magnetized and energized by. Whenever I speak with her, I leave feeling more alive. Today is no exception. In today's episode, we cover a lot, and perhaps my favorite line from this particular show is this. Our culture has a pink cotton candy filter on parenting, and especially on motherhood, and I just wish we were a little more honest, that we were willing to be a little bit grittier. That's from Kate. That covers what we talk about in today's show, so I'll let that be our lead-in. Here we go. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. This episode is brought to you by our amazing friends at Taskerly Virtual Assistants. They are a virtual assistant godsend to anybody who is a busy lady. And if there's one thing I know, parents and entrepreneurs are pretty busy. If you are curious, head to taskerly.co slash pregnant and apply to work with them. As a bonus for being a startup pregnant listener, you get 10% off of your first three months. And stick around at the end of the show because I'll tell you a little bit more about how they work and how to best use them. As always, hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a minute to leave us a review, we would love that. If you need any of the show notes from the show, head to startuppregnant.com. All right, let's get started. All right, today we have Kate Northrup. She is an entrepreneur, a best-selling author, an activist, and an amazing community builder. One of the things I love is she calls herself a professional freedom seeker, a phrase I just adore. And she's one of these online voices I read all the time. She has a podcast she co-hosts with her husband called The Kate and Mike Show. She's known for building an amazing network marketing organization, and she's currently growing this amazing community of entrepreneurial women and mothers. It's called Origin, and she talks about creating financial freedom in your life, doing less to get more in your business. And recently, something that I've watched her do that I'm gives me kind of tingles and shivers when I watch is she's speaking up more and more about using your voice in uncomfortable conversations. So with that, Kate, I'm so glad to have you here. Mm, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So first things first, can you tell me just a little bit about your morning? It's the morning. What's your morning routine look like? Well, I have a two-year-old, so there's not like, I can't, (laughs) there's, I don't know, like the whole morning routine question, just like I get very triggered by it because so many of the people who, you know, celebrate the importance of morning routines do not have children. And so I always get, I'm like, "Mm -hmm, yeah. So, but I know you do. So I know you get it. No, I mean, I mean like today, let's not go global, right? Like just today, like, did you, what time did you wake up today? Perfect. Well, I I did not wake up until 745 today, which is dreamy. I will say huge shout out to my amazing husband, Mike. He's an early riser and he will generally get up with our daughter. And then I do the bedtime thing. So he does the morning thing. I do the bedtime thing. So I got up at 7.45. I like rushed out the door, helped Penelope a little bit, get her shoes on and her lunch in her bag and out the door with Mike. And then I stopped for an iced coffee and a breakfast sandwich, which I ate in the car on the way to a doctor's appointment. (laughs) And now I'm here. That is exactly perfect. Thank you. Yeah, the global morning routines thing, it's like this ideal. And then I just feel so guilty when I put myself up against it because every morning is different. Like today, woke up at 6.04. Okay, Leo's awake. Let's go. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Ah, Well, that's nice to know. You got your coffee. You went to the doctor. You're back. Uh, Yeah. And everything's everything's great. Now I've just kind of got a day of different people in the house fixing things and doing different interviews. So here we are. Amazing. So so one of the things I love to ask people to start is to tell me a little bit about the longer story of your parenting journey. So Mm. when did your parenting journey begin? 
maybe you can take us back to life before kids and then walk us through what it's been like. That's such a great question. I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Like it's the only thing I knew for sure that I wanted to do. So, you know, I think my parenting journey in some ways began when I was a tiny child, like pretending to be a mom very early on. I knew that was a huge part of my purpose. So, but then I actually became a parent September 15th, 2015, when Penelope was born. And I guess I would really label it as I had a traumatic birth experience. My entering into motherhood was incredibly jarring. And I just was like, holy crap, I can't believe this is happening. And then Penelope had really severe eczema for the first year of her life. So, and we're still kind of on that journey, but it's so much better. So she was like sleeping for 10 minutes at a time and waking up screaming and bloody. And it was just like really, everyone said parenting would be hard. And this was like 8 million times harder than I ever could have possibly imagined. So the good news about it is like, I learned a lot. And also by contrast, this part of parenting is so much easier. <laughs> it's like been a really nice to have like a happy toddler and healthy toddler. And I just, you know, my heart goes out to parents with, you know, kids with life-threatening illnesses because, you know, we always knew Penelope was going to be okay in the end. You know, it was just like a pain in the ass in the meantime. So I can't even imagine going through childhood illness. Like that's really, really serious because we went through the ringer. Yeah. So my parenting journey has been, um, I would describe it as shocking and awesome. (laughs) Basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 You've run a business for a long time. And I started my first business when I was 14. So I've been like, I've been at it for, yes, a long time. And currently, would you say you run multiple businesses or how does that work? I mean, they're all under the same umbrella for sure. I would call it one business with multiple different revenue streams. Mm -hmm. And so you're in this entrepreneurial journey and you've been running your own business and calling the shots in a lot of ways since 14. And then you go in, I want to focus first on pregnancy. You get pregnant. What was that transition and experience like? How Mm. did you adjust? Oh yeah, I skipped pregnancy. Right. I skipped pregnancy because (laughs) because compared to mothering, it was so easy. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like not even worth mentioning. No, I... I had a pretty great pregnancy. I was exhausted though. Like I was so tired the whole time. I just could not. I mean, every day I slept for like three hours in the middle of the day and then like 10 hours every night. That was really surprising because I'm a pretty high energy person. And then my mental sharpness really wasn't there. So it was really hard for me as a word person to not be able to remember words. I didn't like feeling fuzzy and kind of like dumb. (laughs) honestly, I just didn't like that feeling. But overall, you know, my pregnancy was really healthy and and pretty blessed other than just I I was so tired. How did you cope with that? Like, what did you have to do differently? How did you learn? You know, you're faced with, oh, my God, I have to take another three hour nap. Like, I can't think straight. What do you do to deal with that or to understand it or to move through it? Well, I'm, again, I'm very blessed. I have an amazing husband and business partner. So I dialed back what I do in a basic, you know, day to day setting in our business a lot. And I have to say like, that was a real bummer for him because he picked up a lot of the slack and he really kept the ship going. And, you know, he talked to me about like being sad. He felt like he lost his partner and he did. And it took me a long time to get back in the game. Like it took me a long time to even really care about our business Mm. again. And now I'm like, you know, more excited about it than I ever have been. So it did come back, but in a very different way. But like, it was really hard, I think, really hard on him. And I was very blessed to have set up, you know, revenue streams that didn't require me to like punch in every day. So that was a blessing. And I really will say like, I did that super consciously. I mean, I created a business early on that in the network marketing industry where I knew that it was residual income and that I didn't have to trade hours for dollars. And I did that to have the freedom around child rearing that I knew I would want to have. 
So I, I started that pretty upstream, but it doesn't necessarily make it easy. You know, just because you like have residual income doesn't mean parenting is easy. But I think it certainly relieves some of the pressure for sure. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah, because you've spoken about that. And I've read some of your writing about you wanted to be financially free by age 30 so that you could have this freedom and these choices. But it's really interesting to hear you say that there are these like unexpected consequences or different outcomes. Oh, like yeah. The effect on the partnership and the marriage and the, you know, you're like, okay, my business can float for a year. That's great. Like I've done this amazing thing. Can you talk a little bit about how it affected your marriage and your partnership and how you guys work through these huge challenges? Because parenting is such a big challenge. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you definitely have to speak to Mike for the full shebang. And we have talked a lot about it on our podcast. And he also has a podcast called Project Life with Mike Watts, where he talks a lot about parenting and sort of navigating being a dad. And and one of the main reasons Mike started his business because he wanted to be home with kids because he was raised by a dad who was traveling all the time for work. So he barely saw his dad. So he really wanted to be there with his kids. And so Mike and I share that in common. Both of my parents worked all the time. And so I wanted to be a really present mom because, you know, my mom wasn't around a lot. And so we had that in common. But again, like, (laughs) I sort of, I, I will say this. In my 20s, I had this belief that if I could get myself set up financially, that like it would make parenting easier. But mm-hmm. I was just wrong. I don't know. You know what? That's not true. I'm sure it was easier than if we had also been massively stressed out about money. Actually, I know that for sure. Anyway, it wasn't easy by any stretch or it hasn't been. Like within our relationship, when we continue to be really in that dance of like, okay, who's doing what, you know, just basics, like, because we have this container of total freedom in terms of our roles in business and parenting, like neither of us has a full-time job. (laughs) Neither of us has to go anywhere and do anything in particular. So with that freedom comes tremendous confusion because (laughs) there is no, there is no set role. And like, we don't really play into traditional gender roles where like, I make the dinner and Mike, you know, makes the money. Like we don't, you know, we just don't operate that way. And so it's like, we have this real amorphous dance between child rearing and house stuff and business building. And I think that, you know, an area of of growth for us, as I say, this would be really more clearly identifying who does what, because I will say in our relationship, our default is just for me to focus more on work and Mike to focus more like on all the other things that need to be done. And so a lot of the responsibility ends up falling on him if we're not conscious about it. And I don't think that's really great for our relationship. So, so we've just like navigated these first three years, two years by basically getting to a breakdown point and then having difficult conversations And then we just published a podcast about this very thing. We hired a therapist because we were like, we need help. Like we were at an impasse and Mike didn't want to work with me anymore. And that was really scary because he is 50% of our business. And so we've gone through a huge healing journey and and Penelope was a, a catalyst for like really bringing to the surface things that needed to be talked about that we had not talked about up until that point. And so, you know, parenting has been like a huge evolution, like a personal evolution for both of us in clarifying our desires. And again, like gender roles and what do we actually even want? Because there's a difference between what needs to be done and what you want to do. And a lot of times with parenting, you just do what needs to be done, obviously, because you're keeping this person alive. And there are plenty of things about parenting that you don't feel like doing, but you just do. But with the two of us, it's really navigating, okay, we are sort of this ideal scenario of, okay, we we make our own hours, we make our own money, we have this total freedom, we both can do whatever we want. But then what does that actually look like consciously? Freedom does not necessarily mean it's going to be easy. In many ways, having a life without clear boundaries makes things more difficult because there are so many more decisions to be made. Wow. That phrase you just said, freedom does not necessarily make things more easy. 
it's wild and it's true. And it's so hard because it's this paradox, right? We chase freedom and we want it. And then on the other side, what is it? Right. So I want to ask you more about this kind of co-parenting, co-business, co-partnership, all of it. You speak openly, and I was just listening to the podcast that you mentioned about talking with Mike and all of these challenges that you've been through and how you address them. And one thing that's really fascinating to me is that you guys are explicitly partners in business, partners in life, and partners romantically and in this marriage. How does that work? Do you guys have strategies for getting to the end of the day and and being like, all right, like business hat off, like to me, what I find sometimes is there's like, we're both in our masculine state, or we're both in our feminine space. How do you go back to the the polarity or the like sexuality and the romance side of things? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, this is an area where we have been challenged, for sure. Oddly, it was actually more challenging before we had a kid. The oh. great thing about having a kid, I, which is surprising. Um, but the great thing about having a kid is like when Penelope comes home from daycare, like, business is over for the most part. And we're a family. Like it's a very clear boundary. Whereas before business just was everywhere. Like it never stopped. And so there are a couple things that we have in place that I think really serve us. We do not do anything perfectly, but like this has been really helpful. Number one, we have a shared Google calendar. So Mike can see my full calendar and I see his full calendar. And if there's something that I am needing him to be present for, I still send him a calendar invite. So then he knows like, okay, I'm not only just seeing that event on Kate's calendar, I also need to be present for it and vice versa. So that has been huge because then we don't get into the daily logistics of like, well, you didn't tell me you needed to be X, Y, Z place like, and that I needed to pick up Penelope. You can see it right there on the calendar. But we also have a backup plan, which is that on Sunday nights or Monday mornings, we go through the week ahead and we just literally go through day by day. Okay, well, you have a doctor's appointment on Wednesday, so I'll take Penelope. Or, oh, we have theater tickets on Wednesday night is somebody who is babysitting or like, oh, shoot, there's going to be 45 minutes where we have no childcare between when you have to leave and when I have to leave. Like, okay, can your mom come by? You know, so we just kind of like try to duct tape the week together mm-hmm. so that there aren't any gaping holes and that we've pre-paved everything. And it helps us prevent those moments of like, well, you didn't tell me, right? So we just like try to over-communicate about scheduling because I don't want our fights to be about logistics. I want to fight about something real, not like who's picking up our kid at daycare. Because that's so easily preventable. So I can't say it prevents those mishaps, you know, 100% of the time, but probably like 95% of the time, the shared calendar and the weekly schedule meeting saves us. And then we also have as part of our weekly schedule meeting, we have time set aside where we record a podcast and we have our money date. So we transfer a certain amount of money into our savings, into our needs account, into our wants account, and into our taxes account. And we do those transfers manually each week because Mike and I both have avoider money personalities. So if we don't like show up and actually pay attention, we'll both just space out. Hmm. So we do that, which is really helpful. And then we try to also include in that meeting, it gets really thrown off when we travel, but we try to also include in that meeting, just like a check-in, just like, how are you? What's going on? I will say that gets cut short more often than not. That was not really the question that you asked, but that's sort of like how we handle our <laughs> but really our useful. life logistically. But then the romance piece of it, like we go on date nights. I don't, you know, I have a lot of friends who really struggle with leaving their kid with a babysitter and like going away for a night. I don't struggle with that because I think we just have an independent kid. And I was raised by a mother who was away so much and I turned out great. So I was like, well, if Penelope <laughs> is with somebody else one night a month, like she's going to be fine. So pretty early on, we started, I think I had my first night away from her by myself when she was like eight months old. And then I think we took our first night overnight together. I don't know, maybe when she was 10 months or so. And then we've done like as many as five nights away alone together. And she stayed with Mike's parents and and we went to London this past June and we did no business and it was just the two of us. And Mike had surprised me with tickets to go see Adele. And it was like the most romantic trip of my life. Like it was so cool to be 
like, oh my God, I'm here. Like I'm with this man. I'm with my husband and I love him so much. And this, it was the most like juicy, romantic five days of my life. It just was so cool to be like, wow, here we are with a toddler and we can be this attracted to each other and this in love. And it was so cool to see that that was right below the surface and it didn't take that much to find it. So I'm a huge believer in spending time by yourself away from your kid. I love spending time with my kid. Obviously, I think that's a given. (laughs) But I just like want to give women permission to leave their child with somebody else. Because I will also say there's a really interesting study published by Rebecca Langer from Harvard And she did this study where she looked at immune systems, our immune systems, and the people who connect with multiple different groups of people, like who belong to different groups of people, and they connect with several different ones of them during the week. So it could be a reading group. It could be, you know, a workout class. It could be ladies who lunch. It could be, I don't know what group, you know, volunteering, whatever groups of people you're part of. The people who connected, who had the most diverse, different social groups had higher immune systems than those who did not belong to different groups, who did not feel that sense of, I belong in multiple places. And I want for my kid to know she is safe on the planet with people who are not me. Mm. Because it's so important for her immune system. And it's just so important for that sense of like, I can go out in the world And I am safe. Like, it's so critical. And so I want her to have that. So knowing that she can be with her grandparents, she can be with my mom, she can be with a babysitter, she can be with a friend, like, I want her to know she's okay in multiple situations, and that I am not her source of safety. That is so interesting that you say that because the like kind of overarching model in the American culture has been this winnowing down into this perfect nuclear family with two parents. You know, <laughs> well, what? And so, that is so brutal. But it's so yeah, exactly. It's just like it's so f-ing hard. It's um, so <laughs> and it's not the way it's meant to be. It no. is not supposed to be that way. Not at all. And it's so interesting to watch because I think we're at a moment right now in our culture and in this time period where like the pressure is literally breaking people, you know, especially parents, especially when we've added the complexity of now it's overarching. You have to be a two income household and both parents work, which none of these things on their own is necessarily bad. It's just this like collision of what is like the the movie tomorrow something or other where there's like a hurricane and yeah. polar ice caps melting <laughs> and something else is coming and it's like of course nobody survives that right like yeah. why don't we all have like postpartum depression because duh yeah. so anyways that's not a question it's just like so amazing what you said and i'm curious what do you think like where do we go from here what do women need what do parents need what does our culture need you know no yeah. small questions Oh my God. I mean, I don't know. I'll say that, but here's what I think. This is one of the reasons that I love to teach women about entrepreneurship because I do believe that our government and companies need to be more supportive of families. However, I do not want to wait around for them to get a clue. I would much rather (laughs) like (laughs) hand the women tools to do this themselves while also petitioning and donating money and showing up and, you know, I, and calling their legislators, those things are all important. And I just don't want to wait for somebody in Washington to think it's a good idea to support me and my family in our health and well-being Cause like, I think it's going to take them a while. I do think being entrepreneurial within your business or within your job, whatever that may look like. Like you don't have to own your own business in order to be entrepreneurial. We can be innovative and we can come up with creative solutions. I think here's the deal. I think we need to get our work done and, you know, meet or exceed expectations. But there are so many studies that show that like in an eight hour workday, people are actually working like three hours Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of, you know, in terms of actually getting anything done. And so I think it is on us to get focused so that we can deliver and over deliver and really show the world that 
an eight hour sort of industrial model workday doesn't actually make any sense from a productivity standpoint. There's just a major diminishing law of return as the day goes on. So there's that. So being entrepreneurial, meaning getting the work done and not like being so focused on how many hours you put in, but instead, what are the results that you're getting? Like that's my whole philosophy of doing less is how can I get the same results with as little effort as possible so that I have extra resources to be with my kid or to take care of my body or to like do something I love, you know, Mm -hmm. it's because we all have so much energy. And as parents, I don't know, I find I have less energy than I did before. And so it's precious, you know, and I don't want to be wasting it around doing some stupid thing. That's like, just like to punch in. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so I can prove I showed up and sat at my desk for eight hours. It's so dumb. It's changing our metrics of what does work look like? What does successful work look like? It's not that we need to lower our expectations. We just need to change our expectations. And I have gotten way more done and made a much bigger impact since becoming a mother than before because I got so focused, you know? So I think that's like, that's such a key piece is like knowing one of the things I teach within origin is the 80, 20 rule. So Obviously, this is, I'm not the first person to talk about this, but it's really like getting serious. What are the 80% of results in your life, in your business? And what are the 20% of actions that have gotten you those results? And there's a really simple exercise you can do to figure this out, which is write down your biggest wins, your biggest career wins mm-hmm. in a list, and then write down the activities you do on a daily basis. And then draw a line connecting the activities you do on a daily basis to the ones that resulted in one of the big wins. And it will instantly show you what your 20% is. And then you just need to stop doing the rest of the stuff as much as possible. Amazing. Okay, so there's so many things in here I want to ask you more about. And I want to ask you more about origin. I have lots of questions about that. I'm going to put a little pin in that. Because first, I want to ask you, you mentioned three hours of productivity on average. I feel that so intuitively. I know the research is out there to suggest that there's like three or four hours of key quality work. And then the rest of it's kind of backsliding into messaging and Facebook checking and browsing or whatever it is that we fill the rest of our time with. What happens for you or what strategies do you have to suggest for when you've completed all the big work? But there, for me, what happens is there's this moment. It's like, I've done the big work. I've written a huge chunk of the book. I've done the the recording I need to do. And then it's around noon or one o'clock and I feel guilty. Mm -hmm. Like I should be doing more. Like because the time doesn't match up to the effort and there's this old model of eight hours, (laughs) like all of a sudden I got to go like crack a whip and get more done. So talk to me about that. How do you oh, deal with I that? I really struggle with that. Okay. I mean, I was raised in New England by like Ivy League parents, highly puritanical, highly like, you know, if you don't get up by 6am, like you've wasted the day kind of philosophy. Mm. I guess I just like hear that voice in my head of like, you should do more. And sometimes I do just do more. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And I just sit and I'm like, Oh my God, I haven't gotten up to pee in four hours. Like, why am I torturing myself? I, you know, I do that or like I haven't eaten properly or I'm dehydrated or, you know, that, but I feel like at least I'm aware of the voice. Mm. I think that always the first step to change is awareness. So knowing that I put this unreasonable pressure on myself, despite having gotten the work done, But I also will say what's really helpful for me, and this is not everybody's reality, obviously, because if you work full time in an office, this is not going to apply, but I'll just share my experience and hopefully you can tweak it into whatever will work for you is I don't work 40 hours a week. So like, I just really only have the time available to do the things that need to be done. And then I don't actually really have the extra time because I also work out during the day when Penelope's gone or I have her or, you know, she's not in daycare usually for a full eight hours or when she is like, I don't know, by the time you grocery shop and eat and work out and whatever, it's like, you don't have eight hours to work. So I basically schedule in other things to trick myself into only having the amount of time necessary to do the task that needs to be done so that I'm not just sitting here with like extra time. I usually just don't have extra time. Yeah, that makes so much sense. There's a law for that at Parkinson's law, I think, which is that your work will expand to 
fill the amount of time you've allotted for it. So I just don't leave myself very much time. That's brilliant. That's really brilliant. Okay. Okay. So you have created over the last year, you've created this community of entrepreneurial women and in particular, entrepreneurial mothers, although it's not just mothers that are in the group and it's grown and you're leading it. And I know that you've written about how the response has been just overwhelming. Like it's more people than you even knew. Can you tell me about what is origin, this community, and how did you first come up with the idea for it? So origin is our collective, our community of entrepreneurial moms or women who consider themselves nurturers and also innovative because we have plenty of women in the group who either don't have kids or who don't have businesses and are still finding it really helpful. So it's sort of those two things. Are you innovative? Are you wanting to shake up the status quo from a career standpoint? And do you consider yourself a nurturer? Do you care for others? In which case it will apply to you. And really the overarching question that we're living into is how do we get more results through doing less? Like, is there a way that we can have what we want in life through other means other than just work harder? Because that's what we've been all been taught, like that the only way to get what you want is just to work harder and just to put in more hours. But as a woman who cares for others, which is pretty much every woman on the planet, like there aren't just more hours. So that path to success sucks. Hmm. And And it will lead to burnout and it will lead to disease and it will lead to adrenal fatigue and it will lead to not getting what you want because you're just too tired. And so I just thought, you know, there's got to be another way. And, you know, I had read Essentialism by Greg McCowan, which I absolutely love about really doing less, but better. And my experience is my greatest satisfaction has not come ever from doing more. It's come from being really present doing the things that matter the most. And I think that's true for everybody, but we live in a culture that is just like, so celebrates, you know, the women who are the ultra marathoners, plus they have seven kids, plus they run five businesses and they volunteer on the weekends. And like, we talk about that as though that's something so awesome and they deserve a parade. And I'm like, I think that woman needs a nap and somebody (laughs) needs to give her permission to have a nap, (laughs) you know? A two year nap. Yeah. Like, just like, let's stop because that I don't, I do not believe that life is about getting more done. That's kind of the overarching philosophy. And then it's, we have monthly Maven masterclasses with a woman who I feel like is exemplifying this whole uh, do less philosophy, or is at least, you know, being conscious of it. And then we have monthly trainings and Q and A's and, and then spotlights of somebody in our, in our community who's really rocking it. And then we have a Facebook group that's very super, super active and amazing for women to connect. So when did this idea come to you? So this idea, so basically what happened is Mike and I were at a wedding last May. So May 2016. And we ran into our friend, Stu McLaren, who I've known for years. And Stu is like the world's leading expert on membership sites. And I was just talking to Stu about, you know, life and business. And I was saying, you know, I'm just kind of tired and burned out because we're living in this launch to launch model, which is like, you know, you gear up, you do the big launch of the course or the coaching group or the mastermind or whatever thing you're, you're launching at the time or the book or whatever. And then you make all this money and then like, you got to do it again. And it just felt very like foot on the gas all the time and then collapse and then foot on the gas all the time and collapse. And he was like, have you thought about doing a membership site? And I said, yeah, I have. But the problem is I don't know what it would be about because I, ever since my book came out in 2013, Money, A Love Story, I felt quite clear that while I was proud of my book, I didn't really want to talk about money anymore that much, like a little bit, but not as my full thing. Like I'm not a personal finance person. That's just not my gig. And so I was like, I don't really know what the membership would be about because I don't really know what my thing is anymore. I felt very lost for about three and a half years. And so, but I just sort of put a pin in it and I said, well, I I do think a membership site is a great idea. I just don't know what it would be. I'll wait for the idea to come. And then I was writing a blog post called make mother nature, your financial planner, 
where I was like, this will be fun. I'll tell women how to organize their financial action steps like bookkeeping and like meeting with their financial advisor and all the different things you need to do to take care of your money. I'll teach them how to organize it throughout the month according to their menstrual cycle where they're most hormonally primed for their brain to do certain activities or according to the moon or the seasons. So I was like, that'll be really fun. And as I was geeking out on it and researching for this one blog post, it came to me, I said to Mike, I'm going to teach a course for women entrepreneurs to plan out their annual calendar for marketing and everything based on the season cycles. And he was like, why don't you make that your whole membership? And Mm. I was like, oh my God, that's genius. So it brought together all of the pieces around spirituality and listening to your body and, you know, women's bodies wisdom that I was raised with from my mom and then all my entrepreneurial knowledge and experience. It was like the perfect melding of all the things. And then Stu, when we went to meet with him about this, was like, you should make it specifically for mothers. And while I was nervous about being so specific, I also thought it was awesome because it's so easy for me to write to mothers right now. Because it's just like, so what I'm in. So I was like, yes, that's great. Okay, let's do it. So that was where the idea came. And then we launched in May, um, just this past May, May 2017. Yeah. And tell me about what is the experience of being in the community? What kinds of conversations are you seeing? Are there any stories or patterns that you're seeing that surprise you about like what questions women are asking? Well, one of the biggest threads that I've been so thrilled, but also surprised with is how many women are like tracking their cycle for the first time, or if they don't cycle because they're pregnant or breastfeeding or, you know, postmenopausal or have had a hysterectomy. I mean, there's so many reasons you wouldn't cycle that they are tracking the moon as their cyclical nature, because women, we are cyclical beings. The feminine is cyclical in an incredibly predictable way. So our culture has told us that the problem with the feminine is that it's unpredictable. But the truth is our very nature is incredibly predictable Mm. and we can bank on it and we can use it to schedule our lives and we can use it. It's like a superpower to be able to get more done in less time and get more satisfaction as well. And so what the biggest thread has been like, How is it that I'm, you know, 45 and no one ever told me this before? Or how is it that we didn't learn this in school? Like this has been happening in my body my entire life and no one ever told me how to use it, you know? And so that's been the biggest conversation. And so I'm, I'm so excited to be teaching mothers this information so they can teach not only their daughters, but also their sons, you know, just so that the next generation, or at least a, you know, a chunk of them will have access to this information not in their 40s, you know, like when they have their first period to be like, oh, hey, did you know that your period is a superpower? Did you know that you're incredibly predictable in this really powerful cyclical way and that you don't have to have your foot on the gas pedal every day? And in fact, if you take your foot off the gas every now and again, you actually can get way more done in less time. Like just, I feel like the giving women the permission to rest has been huge that like another big conversation is like, wow, I actually am taking a day off for the second day of my period or something. And for the first time, I'm even giving myself permission to do that. And I'm not feeling guilty, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and then a lot of questions certainly about getting it all in, you know, about like, how do I do the things I want to do and still show up for my family and still show up for my business? And, you know, I don't think anyone has that one figured out, but at least in origin, we're giving women this framework to understand at least there's a more optimal time of the month to do certain things. So at least you kind of have an idea where to plug things in. Isn't that so interesting? I think for me, in my experience, when I'm alone or when I'm too separated from people, I'm always craving the answer or the outcome, (laughs) right? I like, how do you do this? Like, how do I get all this done? You know, and it's really driven on like, I'm at A, I want Z, how do I collapse those and get it as fast as possible? (laughs) And then when I'm surrounded by women and it's on and off, you know, you mentioned earlier about being in communities and different, vibrantly different, diverse communities, sometimes the like therapeutic part for me is just to be in conversation. Yes. Oh my God. So true. Right. And it's like, I imagine that's the experience that you, how many women are in this group now? It's like a thousand. Am it's I... about a thousand. Yeah. yeah. So, and then we open up doors again in the fall. So, so it'll be a lot more. 
Yeah, in October-ish? In October, yeah. Yep. Okay. And I'll link to that. But it strikes me that sometimes the being there in community with other women. So what are your next goals for this community? Like, Is mm. there a size that feels right to you? Do you know what the next cycle <laughs> looks like? I actually don't. It's so funny. I for as driven as I am, I very rarely have goals. (laughs) (laughs) I just like do things and then see Mm -hmm. what happens. So Mike and I brought a president on to run our company, which is amazing, Licia, and she's such a dream. And she's very goal oriented. So now we have goals because Licia has goals, which is great. (laughs) So I just want women to know what they have. And I just want women to know they're not crazy. I mean, if all this did was for women around the world to say, like, I'm not crazy and I'm not doing it wrong. That's just so healing because everybody just tells us we're crazy and that we're doing it wrong. And it's not helping anybody. So I just want to be a place to remind women, like, you're doing it right and you're awesome. And don't have to do it. it all. You don't have to do it all and you can take a nap and it doesn't mean you are a less worthy human being. Oh, I'm going to like, like make a little repeat of that and just push play on that. <laughs> just to be like, it's okay. Yeah. Um, basically origin is just permission to nap. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, honestly, like, you put a sales page up around that and it's like, oh, permission to nap? I'm in. Click. Yeah, bye. Totally. totally. <laughs> right? Like, one of the buttons will be like, do you want to skip the webinar? Yes. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Would you rather take a nap? Yeah. Would you rather take a, a nap? No, but that's the thing. Like, but here's the deal, right? So I ran this thing in January called the Do Less Experiment. And we're going to do it again this January. It's 14 days of little daily experiments in doing less just to see what will happen. Like, will the world collapse around me? You know, I don't know. Let's see what happens. And I got pushback because we are so programmed to think that the only way to have what we want is to do more. And so people heard me say do less and they immediately, immediately were like, well, I can't do nothing. I mean, blah, 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 I have all this things, blah, 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 like, like really wearing the badge of honor of the to-do list. I'm not saying do nothing. I do many things. I probably do too many things. I'm saying just how can we throughout the day find a way to do a little less, like just a little less. I'm not saying drop everything because that's not going to work either. It's like just do a little bit less. And how can we achieve the same or better results with less effort. Like that's the experiment. And so it's been really powerful to see how women are making that happen. And it's like a daily practice for me too. I'm right in it. I'm not coming from the mountaintop being like, I figured this out. Like, let me tell you, you know, I'm like, I'm wondering too, let's all figure this out together. Well, and and what you're suggesting in many ways is a culture shift or a paradigm shift. So it's not going to be like, boom, you know, one blog post, one essay, one book, and it's changed. Like, this is huge, deep, ingrained. Like, we were born and people told us we had to do more to achieve and to be worthy and to, like, to have value. And that takes, I think, just so much first conversation and connection around even the idea. So you said something really interesting that I want to switch over to and ask you about. You said, we hired Licia, our president. So can you tell me, and you've mentioned it also in some blog posts and in some of your podcasts, you said, there's a quote I have, you said, I will do more to make sure my team is happy sometimes than I will even do for myself. In some ways, it sounds like having a team is like this maybe I can say active self-care in some ways, but how has hiring people to do other parts of your business or to be a compliment to you changed your business? Can you talk about that? Oh my God. Well, first of all, it's the first time in my life I've taken my business seriously. I mean, Mike asked me last summer, he was like, do you really think you run a business or do you think you get paid to journal? And I was like, to be honest, I kind of feel like I get paid to journal. (laughs) So which is beautiful. I mean, I love that that's been how our business has felt. But now it's like, there are real adults who we pay real money so they can feed their kids and pay their mortgage. And now I am really seeing how impactful what we are doing is and even how much more impactful it can be. Like, I don't feel like I'm playing business anymore. And I can see that that is why Origin is growing. And that's why I'm getting bigger opportunities to speak on, you know, larger stages, not actual stages, but well, 
you know, Both. metaphorically speaking, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> metaphorically speaking and just, and yeah, you're right. Real too. Um, that like this message is needed. And I have always had a tendency to kind of laugh off achievements or abilities or, you know, just like any kind of power because it's scary. And I don't want, I don't want people not to like me, you know, and when you start being powerful, sometimes people don't like you and that's just has to be okay. And so it's been really bringing a team on board that has helped me own the work that we're doing and own how important it is and step up in a much bigger way so that I can take myself seriously so that we can do bigger work. Wow. That's such a, it's counterintuitive because so much yes. of the, the ideas out there, oh, hire somebody, take work off your plate, right? You know, do less. Oh, and it does. Somebody, like right. it totally, like, you know what it does? It frees me up. So it's like, it's a little bit of a paradox because I actually do have more free time, but the time that I do spend is on much higher impact stuff. So it's like, I'm not scrambling to just make sure the day to day is happening anymore. Instead, I am having time to sit around and think about a bigger thing, you know? And so that's huge. Like my bandwidth is freed up for higher leverage activities. And so I may in a way be like, I think what I'm doing is I'm taking it far more seriously, but that doesn't actually mean putting in more hours. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. So the last thing I want to ask you is something I mentioned at the top of the episode when I introduced you. And it's, you wrote something that I read today that really struck me. And it was about stepping up in your conversation and speaking about what's uncomfortable or what's different or what needs attention. And in the blog post, it was about privilege. It was about the current state of our political sphere. And it was about being able to opt in and opt out of the conversation. And there's something that just gave me the shivers when I read it. You wrote, healing requires looking our darkness in the eye. And it requires slogging through the mud. It's dirty and it often feels really bad. Can you talk about this, about like, how you decided to do what I think is so brave in many ways and say like, wait a second, I've got to join this conversation and I've been complicit and mm -hmm. this is important. And I know that I have this huge community that I need to talk to about these deep matters. Can you talk about that experience? Well, it was just last week. I mean, it's actually rare these days that when a blog goes out of mine that I wrote it just now, I'm very proud of myself. I've gotten quite ahead. I have a, a backlog of blogs to go out. Because uh, of the team, right? Because of the team, because I have to, they're expecting me to, you know, they have to do things to get the blog out. So I have to write it ahead of time so that they're not rushing because it's out of respect for the team. However, this one, you know, current events are current. And so I just was so struck by the conversations going on, on social media, you know, that's where I get the most of my news. And I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, I do that consciously. I was so struck by the conversations around, well, okay, I will say ever since the election, I've just been brought to a higher level of consciousness and like a fire has been lit within me of like, okay, my work actually matters. And this is part of the solution. Like I'm not just getting paid to journal basically. Right. So, so bringing on the team has been part of it, but our political situation has been another huge part of it. I'm like, Oh, shit, there is work to be done here. And I can't just sit around and just be like, doo -doo -doo, I'm just in Maine. Like it doesn't, you know, what I do doesn't matter. You know, what all of us does matters. And so just last week I was, I felt so compelled, especially by a few pieces, Brene Brown's Facebook Live about why we have to keep talking about Charlottesville. And then this other woman, wild mystic woman wrote a piece about called I need to talk to spiritual white women. Mm. And I was so struck by like, oh my God, I have been quiet. And it's the same thing. Somebody wrote a comment on my blog today, which really struck me that Sometimes when a friend of yours loses somebody, like let's say their mother dies, or I recently had one of my very best friends, her father died. And she said, what's been the most hurtful is the people who haven't reached out and they haven't said anything because they don't know what to say, but it hurts her that they don't say anything because they're so afraid to say the wrong thing. And it is the exact same thing with what's going on on the planet that we're so afraid to say the wrong thing that we say nothing. And that hurts people even more. And so I just was like, you know what, enough. I'm going to definitely offend somebody. 
And I'm definitely going to call myself out because I have been one of those people where I'm like, well, it doesn't apply to me. And, and I don't want to activate the negativity by playing into it. And it's true. Like I'm not going to be spending hours watching CNN on repeat. Like that is not helping anybody. But I need to be, we all need to be paying attention because it's just the same thing in our lives. Like I had a very traumatic birth experience and a traumatic first year of motherhood and ignoring that and pretending it didn't happen is not healing. It just makes it fester. It just turns it into disease in my body as opposed to, you know, writing about it, going to therapy, talking about it, doing whatever needed to happen. And so it's the very same with the trauma and hurt within our culture. We cannot ignore it. It's not just going to go away. We have to look it in the eye and pay attention and do the healing work, which requires paying attention and talking about it, like talking about it. And I know people talk a lot about, you know, people are saying, well, I just feel like people are talking about it so much and not taking action. And I, yes, I believe you have to actually get out there, call your legislature, you know, show up for a protest to donate money. And I'm, I'm doing all those things. And I think talking about it is so important. Like it's critical because talking about it is what changes awareness. It creates awareness and it changes beliefs. It is because other people on the internet decided to talk about it that I was like, holy, I have been living under a rock. Like it is not okay for me to just because I can not pay attention. I am part of the problem. And it is because other people had the bravery to say something that woke me up. So I just decided you know, if I was asleep, other people definitely were. So I better get on it. And I think, oh, Kate, like the bravery that it takes. I want to say a couple of things about this. First, it's really hard, right? It's an emotional vulnerability to get up and speak out. Doesn't matter who you are and what your platform is. It's really hard. And sometimes what I see is people speak up and we say, oh, thank you for being so brave. And people are like, ah, oh, it's not brave. It's harder for other people, right? Like, so-and-so has it worse. And it's this like quick response. That's the same thing in pregnancy and the same thing in motherhood. You're like, oh my God. Like, oh, I had like a C-section birth or I had a this birth. Well, mine was worse. Or like I had trouble breastfeeding. Well, mine was worse. And it's like, there's, Not helpful. I just want to pause and take a breath in there and just, and like publicly admire you for the work it took to make that blog post because Yes, there are so many other things and all the other people and we all have to act. And what you did was brave and what other people are doing is brave. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for calling out the thing that we do around, you know, oh, well, I didn't have, it's not that hard. This other person. Yes, guaranteed. There's always somebody who had it worse. But like that doesn't mean to not acknowledge what you're going through. Like that actually doesn't help the healing process to say, well, my pain doesn't count. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And also, somebody always will have it worse, which is why we need to talk about it. Thousand percent. A thousand percent. So, it related to this is you've mentioned, and I don't remember where, but it's something I think I like glean from your work about the sensitivity of your soul, like how reading a comment from somebody or getting a really mean email because people can open their emails and just be like, blah, right? And send you like the, <laughs> the worst of their day. And you're like, ooh, yeah. you know, you're going through your day and you're like, oh, that was like a firecracker that just came in. And you've mentioned that one of your strengths and one of the beautiful things about you is how permeable and, and sensitive you are to being able to read other people's emotions and build the things that need to be built. But how do you set up boundaries and blocks mm. and containers to protect yourself without wandering over into the like, I'm just not going to talk about it. I live in Maine. Right, right. Like, totally. where's, you know what I'm saying? Yes, I totally do. Well, I will say I read all the comments on my blog. I do that myself and I approve them. And sometimes people say nasty things and that's fine. And, you know, I read every single comment on social media and I respond to them myself. And sometimes people say nasty things there, but I do not read all of the emails that come in, but I have somebody who I trust and who I love who does and who sends me anything that she thinks needs to be seen. And when there is something important that somebody is saying that like is calling out maybe something that I'm missing, I definitely want to know that, you know, I for sure, like if it's just like, you know, you made this mistake in something or you offended, you know, when it's not like there's such a difference between somebody lovingly saying like, Hey, I don't know if you knew, but that thing you said was really hurtful to me or this group of people or whatever. I'm like, Oh gosh, thank you so much for telling me versus, you know, 
people say mean things that are just not actually helpful. Right, <laughs> so there's, right. there, you know, so she sends me the ones that are constructive that I actually do need to know. And if it's just about the person needing to vent, like, I don't really need to see that because that's not helping me become more helpful to other people. Yeah. So mm. that's, well, that's a big boundary that's in place. And I will say I live in a small town in Maine and it's really lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really do love it here. And that's part of my self-care. Oh, beautiful. Thanks for answering these more tricky questions towards the end. Yeah, yeah. they're great. So I like to close the podcast with uh, rapid fire questions. So I ask four questions and tell me just off the top of your head, if possible. We'll start with you tell me, do you want to start with the parenting side or the entrepreneurship side? Let's start with entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship. Hardest part about it. Having a freedom to do whatever. Best part about it having the freedom to do whatever. <laughs> what surprised you most about being an entrepreneur? That freedom does not make things easier. And what do you wish that more people knew about that entrepreneurship? They, I wish that more people knew that it is not that, well, this is of course completely antithetical to what I just said. It's not that hard. Like anybody really can like just start. And I also wish people knew that like nobody who is doing this entrepreneurship thing knows what they're doing or knew when they started. Like there was no rule book. Nobody had a special set of instructions. Like everyone just started at zero. So I just want everybody to remember that because I hear so many women who are like, I'm so afraid to start and I need to get all my ducks in a row. And I'm like, no, nope, you really just go because the only way to learn is through doing it. Right. Great. Join the club. You're ready. Um, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So parenting, hardest part about it? The lack of control. Best part about parenting? The love. So fun. And watching this tiny person discover the world is so magical. What surprised you most about becoming a parent? How much it required me to let go. Just like, oh my God, this is not my agenda. I could, every other thing I did in my life, if I just like did a certain number of things, it just turned out the way I wanted it to. There's nothing I can do. There's no like set of steps that I can follow to have her do what I want her to do. <laughs> Right, right. It's so hard. <laughs> yes. What do you wish more people, non-parents and parents alike, knew about parenting? That it just like takes everything you have. And also that it is that it is hard and satisfying, but like hard. And I just think that the pressure, you know, sometimes I see people post on social media about like I saw this one post and you know, God bless this woman. I saw this post about like her baby was 30 weeks old. And she was like, every day has been even more blissful than the the next day. And I'm in pure bliss all the time. And I just was like, is that true? Like me, I just was very hard for me to be like, I just think that there's this idea of bliss, that there are moments of bliss, but largely I don't find parenting blissful. And I think our culture has this whole like pink cotton candy idea of motherhood that just makes me want to vomit. Like, I just wish we were a little grittier about the truth. Yes, right. The Instagram filter, the pregnancy filter, the parenting filter. Yes. It's great. It's, it is great. But it is, you know what? The truth about it for me has been I did not know it was possible to feel such opposite emotions simultaneously. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Kate, you're amazing. Thank you for the generosity of your time and being here and for your candidness in sharing all of these details and opening up your life to people. Where can people go to find out more about you or just to tell you how great you are? Oh, that's very sweet. I've loved this conversation. You're an awesome interviewer. Thank you so much. What a gift. You can just head over to katenorthrop.com. And I am also my favorite place to hang out on social media is Instagram. And I'm over there at Kate Northrup. Perfect. So that's a wrap. What a treat to have Kate Northrup as our guest today. So we talked a little bit on the show about her membership community called Origin Collective. And if you are curious about that, I am an affiliate for the community. It's a community of entrepreneurial women and entrepreneurial mothers. I'm part of the community and I'm an affiliate. So if you want to join, you can use the link 
bit, B-I-T dot Lee slash start origin. And that'll take you right to the Origin Collective. I'll also put the link in the show notes. All right, I promised to talk a little bit about using virtual assistants and how to make that a part of your life as an entrepreneur. Taskerly, the sponsor of this episode, is a small team based in the UK, and they work with a ton of clients in the US. What they do is they focus on helping online businesses, entrepreneurs, and startups with their marketing and admin work behind the scenes. So here are some of the things that they do. They do social media scheduling, email marketing, inbox management. They can help with customer service, basic graphic design work. They can moderate Facebook groups. They even help with researching and outlining a ghostwriting if you're working on a big writing project. Or if you're running a blog and a podcast, they can help you manage your content calendars. And they've done things like website maintenance and making sure that your website is up to date. All of these things are super important things that online entrepreneurs need nowadays. And I remember the moment when I was so nervous because I wanted to hire somebody and I wasn't quite ready. Taskerly and other virtual assistants can be so helpful because they help you bridge the gap. And you're like, okay, I'm going to start with a few hours a month. Maybe I'll build up to a few hours a week. And once you realize how much it helps to have somebody on your team taking some of the load off, it just changes your life as an entrepreneur. If you're curious, head to taskerly.co slash pregnant and apply to work with them. They don't accept everybody, but if you apply and you get accepted because you're a good match, as a bonus for being a startup pregnant listener, you will get 10% off of your first three months. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Startup Pregnant Podcast. If you have a question or a comment about the show, head to startuppregnant.com for all of the show notes, episode quotes, and more. We have weekly blog posts and a lot of bonus resources all over at startuppregnant.com. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do right now is hit subscribe and then leave us a review. And if you'd like to become a sponsor, go to startuppregnant.com slash sponsors to find out more. Thank you so much, and I'll see you on the next episode.